Welcome to the Permission to Succeed podcast. This podcast is about learning from and being inspired by people who have been successful because they found what they were passionate about, created something special, and most of all, they gave themselves permission to go and do it. The genesis of this podcast is the inspirational lives of Muhammad Ali and Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and their world-changing impact. The Permission to Succeed podcast is brought to you by Advisorpedia, the best place advisors come to grow their minds and businesses. And now, please join your host, Doug Heikinen. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Today, we welcome another great marketing mind to our CMO series, Drivers of Revenue, Kimberly Beck. Kimberly has held marketing leadership roles at BlackRock, Nuveen, and most recently, InvestNet. She's now the CMO at YieldX. I love YieldX's tagline, the outcome is the income. That's really good. YieldX's platform empowers financial service firms to expand their fixed income product offerings, but that's for another time. Welcome, Kimberly. Hey, Doug. Thank you for having me. Um, really great to be on. Are you ready? I am ready. I am ready. Let's go. Let's do this. I've been excited about this. Me too. The title chief marketing officer can mean so many things, and it's widely overused. What really is the job? Yeah, so so it's interesting. Um, that's, that's a great question. Um, I do think that title of chief marketing officer, I think it's changed over the years. I do think it is um, different depending on the company um, that you're at. And, and where they are at in their, their life cycle as a company and what the needs are as a marketing department. I think personally, I think, you know, the way that I have seen the role, and again, it, it's different, you know, for every organization, but, you know, first and foremost, I think of the CMO role as being the champion for the customer. I also see, um, you know, there's there's a connection point. Gartner actually um, had a report about um, calling the CMO role the chief connecting officer. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a really, really nice title and a nice way to describe it, because I think there's a lot of connections that meet, need to be made between employees the clients, the brand, and the products and services that you offer, right, to, to really create value um, for that organization. So I love that um, chief connecting officer um, title. I do too. Was there a point in your career that you set your sights on being a CMO? And how did you acquire the tools, tool set to get and do the job? Yeah. Um, it, it, so, so I would love to say, yes, there was a defining moment where I said, I want to be CMO. Um, I don't think that I personally, you know, ever had that vision for, I want to be chief marketing officer somewhere in, in my career. I didn't even know, you know, when I was in college that I wanted to be in, in marketing. Um, my background was really in writing and journalism, and I just found my way into marketing. I've always been open to trying new things. I think um, I think that's what has made me successful as a marketer is that I like to dig in on the product side, on the sales side, and also in the marketing side, but it's, it's kind of bringing those three things together. I think there were a lot of things in my career um, leading up to this that, that let me develop the tool set to, to be in this role. 
I think very early on, um, it was a lot of just rolling up my sleeves, right. And doing the work and sometimes taking on some of the work that nobody else wanted to do and, and digging in and asking the right questions and just being really gritty. Um, so I think that's, you know, like in my twenties, when I started in this industry, I, I very much did all that. I think another, you know, there, there's a couple other things that, that, you know, I've done and I think have helped me get here. I think listening, I think I've always been more of a listener than a, a talker, I would say. Um, so I listen and I really seek to understand. I ask a lot of questions, um, never stop learning. Right. I, I think that's, that's key. I think learning, um, you know, both inside and outside of marketing, um, we, you know, with, with, people within my organization and people outside of my organization. So, so learning from others, I think that also feeds into mentoring. And, you know, I, I can't say that I've had a formal mentor in my career, but I have had people in my career who have, um, you know, seen, seen value in me, maybe at times when I didn't necessarily see it and, and pushed me to, to, kind of step out of my comfort zone and do some things and take on some projects that I normally wouldn't have. Um, but also just mentors at, you know, my own level, people who I really respect and, and, um, you know, know, know the industry have a very good sense of, of, of you know, um, what they want in their own careers. Um, people who's, you know, the way they operate, I want to emulate. Right. So I think, I think finding mentors has, has really given me that tool set. The other thing I would say is that, you know, early on in my career, I think I shied away from kind of the, 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 the tougher, um, more difficult people, right. And the, the people who would challenge me, I think as I've gotten further in my career, I, I actually seek those people out. Like, who are those people who kind of tell it like it is, are blunt, right? Might not be the warmest and friendliest, but are really smart and, and you know, um, just really get to the heart of, of kind of, you know, here's where I can see you improve, right? And so asking for that feedback from those people, I think that's that's something else that's that's really given me the tool set to, to get me where I am today. I really think those are the people that really shape you. They've shaped yeah. me through my career. It's amazing. Yeah, for sure. As we mentioned, you spent several years leading marketing at, leading marketing at a massive company, yeah. but you left the world of that world for the life of an entrepreneurial one in a startup. What's that been like? Yeah. Um, you know, and I, I, I have to admit, I thought it was going to be a heck of a lot different than what it actually is. I think it is very different, but it's not as different as you think. Um, you know, I, I, I came from InvestNet and, you know, it was, very, very um, fast paced, very innovative, great, great company. Um, but, but, you know, we, we always said, you know, we were, um, you know, really a 20 year startup in many ways, we had grown so quickly, we made so many acquisitions, we were, you know, disrupting an entire industry. And, and, you know, as you do that, and as you, uh, you know, achieve that rapid growth, um, you do act like a startup and you need to move quick. You need to be nimble and you need to be flexible. So I think, you know, there's a perception out there that some of the big companies, everything is smooth sailing. 
Um, and that's not necessarily always the case. Every company has has challenges and some level of chaos inside. Um, when I, you know, interviewed at, at kind of one of the, the larger companies that I worked for, um, you know, they, they said, you know, hey, you know, are, are you cut out for this? Because, you know, there's there's places, you know, that seem like they're very smooth on the outside. It's like a like a duck, you know, gliding along the water. Right. They, they seem everything looks smooth on the outside, but underneath they're really paddling and moving at a rapid pace. Right. And it looks chaotic. Um, so I, I, I love that analogy. Um, I think a couple of the things that are, you know, different here is that I do think, you know, at YieldX, I, I had the opportunity to work alongside the founders, Steve and Adam, who are, are wonderful, are, are quite visionary, you know, in, in their way of thinking, who are, you know, thinking about our strategy and are, are evolving our strategy based on our customers' needs on a daily basis almost, and, and really thinking about how we serve the, the customers best and how we deliver the solutions in the marketplace that they need. So I think that, you know, and getting to work along Alongside them so closely has been um, really, really key for me. I, I do think, you know, there, there's not a lot of red tape in a, you know, startup as there, there might be in a more established company. So you can get, you can see quicker results as a marketer. I can see quick results. I can get things done very quickly. Um, and, and I love that. I think, you know, another, you know, thing that is different is I, you know, I'm used to having pretty big teams under me. And right now I, um, at YieldX, I am a one woman show. Um, so I, you know, and I think that'll, that'll change, but, but right now it's really me. So for most of my career, you know, I kind of got up to a stage where, you know, I, I had teams, you know, under me and who were actually helping to execute on the work and things like that. And now it's all me. So funny story. I think when, when I joined GLDX, I think one of the first things that somebody said is, you know, your, 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 your name is in, you know, some of our decks, you know, as one of our leaders, we, you should be updated on the website. Um, can you add yourself to the website? And I said, uh, no, I, I don't know how to make a change to the website, right? Um, and and so so that's funny. So it's been a learning curve. I've definitely had to be more hands on, and and pick up some of those more executional style skills that you know I I I, I kind of you know um, had teams working for me to do that for. Um, but it's been refreshing and a, and a really really good change. When you were talking about the duck and the feet going or the pedals going yeah. fast underneath. Um, it reminded me of when I was at a massive company and it became huge. One of the senior people said, we've now, we're now that ship on a river that is very hard to turn. We're no longer that speedboat. Yeah. So now you're the speed. Yeah. That's a, that's a great analogy. I haven't heard that one, but that's, yes, that's, that's true. That's what happens with the bigger, the bigger you grow, the, the more difficult it is to be nimble and flexible. So agree. Yeah. I'm curious to your thoughts on the difference in B2B marketing tech and marketing to enterprises versus marketing to advisors or consumers. Talk about that for me. Yeah. I think there's, there's, you know, a lot of differences there. I think, you know, particularly with enterprise buyers, the sales cycle is, is very long, right? I think, you know, when you're marketing to an advisor or consumer, there's a shorter sales cycle. There's one 
person generally involved in the decision process for, for buying a product or solution. And it's, you know, reaching out to that one person and really influencing them. There might be a couple on the periphery, but, you know, the sales cycle is, is relatively short. I think with a, you know, tech company in B2B, people are really making an investment in their businesses. And so as a result, these decisions are, are you know, don't, are, are not overnight decisions of we love your product, but it's really making the case for budget, really trying to think about the ROI of, of that solution and service. And so I think as, you know, marketers, um, you know, one big thing that we have to think about, again, is that buyer is not one person. So it's really identifying all the people in the decision-making process, right? And there's those who, you know, make the final say, but there's lots of influential people along the way. And oftentimes those decision-makers, they're groups of 10 or more, right? So, so you have to influence 10 or more. I think the the other interesting thing is that when it comes to um, technology, and I, I actually think this is the case, you know, more broadly, um, as as marketing has evolved and and you know consumer and and B two B buyer preferences have shifted. Um, people like to do a lot of research on their own, right? They, they don't want a salesperson at every stage of the process. They want to research and find information on a product or solution. They want to do that online on their own time and, and kind of the way that in the places that they like to research that information, right? They, they you know, until they get further down the marketing funnel, right into that consideration phase where they're really, they need some more detailed answers, questions answered. That's when they really want sales, a salesperson or relationship manager to become more involved. So I think at the outset, you know, there is a very, very heavy lift on, you know, marketing to really educate that buyer early on. And then, you know, the, the final thing that I would say is, you know, I'm an enterprise buyer, right? So, so I buy enterprise technology. And so one of the things that I ask when I talk to people who are pitching me marketing technology, um, okay, guys, like, you know, this sounds great. And often, you know, some of these, these marketing, the marketing technology that is being introduced. I mean, it's, it's, it seems like a no brainer. It absolutely, we need this, but you know, again, it's the decision doesn't stop with me. There are other people involved, right? There's my CEO who will be involved in that decision. My sales team, my CFO, they are all influential people in that decision. So how, you know, how can that company help me sell it internally and build the case for, you know, why is it worth the investment? When will it break even? Um, you know, the, 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 the more that they can equip me with the tools that I need to sell it internally, the more successful their marketing is in my eyes. Um, so again, it's, it's, it's really thinking about, you know, your buyer, and how do you make them a hero within their own organizations? How do you make it really easy for them to sell internally? So I think that's another big, big difference when it comes to enterprise buyers. I couldn't agree more. It's not the person on the other end of the Zoom anymore or the phone. It's the tri their tribe that you have to sell it to and the better you job you can do in marketing and educating 
the better chance you have. Exactly. You got it, Doug. That's right. Talk about the role of managing people, guiding their careers forward, as well as contributing to the culture of the company. I know you're passionate about this. Yeah. Um, so, you know, this is this is one of those things that becomes that has become more important to me as I've grown in my career. And as I think about what I love to do and where I get satisfaction, you know, from and, and happiness from it's, you know, really helping other people grow in their careers. So when I look back at, at my own path, I, I was this, you know, kid who grew up in Northeast Philly in a row house there. And, um, you know, first person in my family to go to college. Um, I didn't have a ton of confidence, you know, that, that I was cut out for college. Even I didn't have, um, a ton of confidence that I would have a, a successful career. And um, here I am. And, you know, I, I feel like I, I, I have that now, um, but I didn't get here by myself. Right. I, I think certainly there's a lot of hard work and, you know, a little bit of, you know, luck along the way in, in getting to this point. Um, but I had a lot of great mentors and, and, you know, I mentioned that earlier and, and people who, um, you know, helped me along the way. And as often as I can get to do that for other people, I do. So I think, you know, um, a couple things that I've, I, I really believe in the value of internships, right? And not only giving people an internship, but but working with those students, right? And, and seeing them through to make sure that they land on their feet in a successful career if they've been really good. Um, you know, I, there's just a couple great stories that, you know, I, I recently was able to um, connect a former intern of mine at InvestNet with a, another firm. And he just sent me a text last week saying, you know, he, he, he got the job. I made him the connection and how appreciative he was. Um, a former boss of mine um, at BlackRock who um, was wonderful to me. I'm happy. I just met um, her son for the first time last week, but I've been working with him probably for the over the course of a year. And I connected him with somebody and he just, um, you know, got got a great um, new job in the industry. Um, I think, you know, even when I've left organizations, I, I've really, you know, I think the question is, you know, what, what, how do we replace you? You know, what are your thoughts around that? which is a really good one. And, and I think oftentimes there's an inclination to go outside an organization and, and look for somebody outside the organization to replace me. But I think I've been really um, you know, um, keen on, on kind of tapping those people who I think have it in them, have those leadership, um, that leadership potential. And if they're given the opportunity, they can take on that role. And so, so I've been able to do that. Um, I also think, you know, Sometimes it's it's really helping people move out of an organization. Sometimes they've sat in an organization and they haven't really been happy and they haven't, you know, grown their career. So how do we find them, you know, something that they love and, and something that they're going to be passionate about? So I, I think that's another thing. Um, and then just just a couple more things that I would say on that. Um, I, I talk about this book all the time, but um, there's a book, Radical Candor, and it's it's by a woman named Kim Scott, and and it really just stuck with me. It's it's a great short read, but I think you know two points and that she brings up when you know 
Um, working with others, and I wouldn't even necessarily say your own team, but there's two key points. It's care deeply and challenge directly, right? And, and care deeply. If you care deeply about your employees, you're always going to help them move forward or move them into the right thing for them, right? But, but when, you know, feedback needs to be given, you know, challenge directly, ask, ask the tough questions, you know, take the emotion out of it. Don't be afraid to do that too, because that's how we grow. And that comes back to something I said earlier about, you know, that the, the, the toughest people kind of being my, um, that the people who've moved me forward in my career the, the, the most. Um, so I think that's another, um, big thing. So again, I think giving back, I I've been very, very blessed, um, to have some great people, um, surrounding me and I want to be, you know, one of those people for others now. That's great. Let's get back to marketing. How do you mesh sales product and marketing? This is such a key part of it and one many companies don't do successfully. And it seems like it has to be on the CMO to do this. Yeah, I, I think oftentimes it does fall on the CMO to do this. And I think this is a real, you, you raise a really, really great point, Doug. I think it is, it you know, product sales marketing. I think that's even growing, you know, to other areas of organizations, you know, to things like, like client service and client experience, all of that is, is, is key as well. So I think there's a few things there. I think one is, is really establishing that trust is key. And that's, you know, a more relational skill set. But I think if you don't have a level of trust with your sales and product marketing or product partners, you're not going to get anywhere as a marketer, right? So I think it's building those relationships from the ground up, making sure that they know you have their best interests at heart and we're all working toward a unified goal. So that level of trust is, is key. I think oftentimes, you know, these three areas um, get tripped up because they don't um, having mutual understanding of who, you know, who, who the prime prospect is and, and who that target buyer is. So I think, you know, really making sure that those three functions are aligned on what, what's the purchasing journey, who is our ideal customer, right. That we're going after and really kind of putting most of your efforts toward those buyers is, is, is key. And then, the third thing I would say is, and, and, you know, I think where I have done it, you know, or at least tried to do a good job as a marketer, and I think I've been successful, is, you know, forcing prioritization within an organization, right? Um, sales, marketing, product, oftentimes, you know, companies have a, 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 a huge set of solutions and, and services that they're offering, but you can't give everything, you know, hundred percent. So if you had to lean in, right, what are kind of the three to five top priorities that as an organization you should go all in on? And that has to be aligned across product, you know, sales and marketing, right? I think once you get to that and you get that agreed, agreed upon list, I think everything else um, begins to fall into place, right? Um, then all, all of those functions are able to understand the trade-offs. So if we can't market this, 
The reason we can't put resources toward it is because we're focused on this bigger initiative. And that's really where we need our focus. So I think that's key. And then I also think it helps, you know, in thinking about like the use cases. I think there's often, you know, as a marketer, I've been on the receiving end of, oh, can you just create this white paper? Can you just put out the social media post? Um, can you, you know, uh, create a quick video, right? And and oftentimes there's no thought into how that will be used, right? And how it gets the distribution that it needs. But I think if you align at the higher level on the priorities and focus, all of that comes into place. All right, let's get into a little bit of our lightning round. Okay. Does marketing need to be expensive? No. Short answer, no. I was trying... <laughs> Sorry for my long pause there, Doug. I was going to give you a long answer that I remembered your lightning round. No, no, this, oh. you don't. This is just the lightning round of questions. You can take as much time as you want. Does it okay. need to be expensive? Okay. I, I would say, you know, a, a few quick, you know, comments on that. Yeah. I, I do think, you know, I, cost always comes up with marketing. When you say marketing, it's always seen as, you know, a cost center. And I really think we need to shift the perception of marketing and much to your, the title of your podcast, it needs to be viewed as a long-term revenue driver, right? And, and it needs to be viewed as an investment, right? So an investment in a, a brand and customer relationships and really the long-term health of a company. Um, I, I do think, you know, when you ask about the cost and, and you know, it, it does depend sometimes, right? If you are trying to enter a new market and you need to do, you know, big, you know, brand awareness in a new market and you're up against some competition. Yeah, I think, you know, you have to spend some money to do that, right? Um, but the other thing that, you know, and I think this is becoming more and more um, powerful is that a lot of your marketing can be done by your customers. So if you provide your customers with a really great product, exceptional service, right? It's not expensive, right? Your yeah. customers can do it for you. So I think we see, you know, consumers kind of and, and buyers taking on that power. We see reviews. When I purchase products, I'm looking at other customer reviews, right? I'm seeing what people are saying out on social media. Um, you know, on the same token, um, those customers can also really, you know, drag your product down and, and you know, hurt, hurt your marketing efforts if you are not, if they're not happy with your product and service. Um, but, you know, again, short answer, it, it does not have to be expensive. I just think we need to really shift the perception um, of marketing as long-term revenue driver versus a cost center. Well, you started to touch on my next question, which is what makes marketing powerful? Yep. Um, short, short answer. And I will lightning round this one. I think it's genuinely caring about your customers is the most effective mar marketing strategy. If you lead with your customer's best interest at heart and you are um, putting them as making them the priority, you will be an effective marketer. There's no debate. Who outside of our industry catches your imagination in terms of great marketing? Yeah, I, um, you know, this is a, a great question. It's a fun question. Um, I, I think about this a lot and I think about kind of what brands 
I follow and use who I think are doing a good job at, you know, bringing me in, um, you know, a, a couple of things I'd say, and these aren't kind of your standard answers here um, by any stretch of the imagination, but I always um, talk about, um, there's a, a marketing technology firm, an ABM solution, Sixth Sense, um, you know, full disclosure, I, I am not using them at YieldX yet, um, but but them and, and they partner with a, another small marketing agency, um, Heinz Marketing. And, you know, one neat thing that they do is every Friday morning, they have this CMO coffee talk, right? And it's, you know, it's, it's very, um, it's not, it's kind of off the cuff. It's a little bit, you know, not too structured. Um, it's every single Friday, but they have a great lineup of speakers. They, you know, people, CMOs from across different industries are just sharing best practices, asking questions. They send out a great recap afterwards. So they've built this like really small community of marketers. They're educating me. I feel like I'm getting something from that relationship every single Friday. And if I can't join, I get it in my email box. So I love that idea of, um, you know, community. I think, you know, I'll, I'll give you just a, a couple more examples. I think the other, um, there, there's a program, a fitness program actually out there right now that has um, grown significantly in the past uh, two years, I would say two or three years. It's called E2M. It's eager to motivate. Um, but they, you know, they basically have a fitness program and a nutrition program. But what they do is they do everything live. So they are producing content on a daily basis. And this content can be anything from, you know, a 15 minute motivational kind of um, talk at night from, from the owner of the company, um, which he pretty much does six nights a week at the same time. Um, they do live events. So they, all their trainers will meet in certain cities and invite, you know, kind of all the, the E2M community in there. Um, all of their workouts are live. Um, they um, are, are producing content on a daily basis and it's not heavily edited. It's raw, it's genuine, it's real. And so I think there's something to that. And I think, you know, they've grown their business. They, they do very little marketing, but it's word of mouth, right? So again, we see customers spreading the word about them and, and, and being their best, best marketers. And then, you know, one, one final, you know, just example that I would say, I think that that community, that the, the content daily, I think that's key. I think, you know, the genuine authenticity coming through is key. A um, little more buttoned up, you know, of an organization, but, but there's a, you know, clothing store that I shop at on a regular basis and it's a chain. Um, but when I go into my local store, they know me walking in the door and I swear I'm not there every day or every week even, I swear, but they know me walking in the door. They kind of know what I like. I don't, I, I don't like shopping. I actually really, really don't like shopping. Um, so when I go, I want to get in and out. And I think they know that about me. So they will automatically start pulling sizes. They'll see me looking at something like they know my size. Um, they automatically um, are, are making it a quick, seamless experience for me. They, you know, after I leave there, after I make a purchase, 
um, they'll send me an email on what I bought and they'll say, well, you might also like this, right? There might be an accessory to complement it. And oftentimes I will buy the accessory to complement it that I didn't buy in the store. Um, they it will ask me to write a review of, of my purchases, which I often do. And it's really quick and easy to do their reviews. Um, some of them you have to, you know, give them your blood type to even submit a review, but, but they make it a very quick, seamless process. They make returns very easy. I can mail them in. So it's, it, you know, another company that's doing it's, it's marketing, but it's also that, that client experience that are coming together and, um, really, really makes it powerful. And so I think that's where, where marketing is going. Yeah. All right. Can you tell us what makes your marketing unique? Yeah, I, th I think, you know, I, I touched on kind of a lot of it and, and, you know, what's important to me and what I value as a marketer. Um, again, I don't think you can ever go wrong as a marketer if you are leading with your customer in mind and, and care for that customer in mind. So not only how do we bring them in the door, but how do we ensure that they get the best experience, they become repeat buyers and they become advocates for us. So I think that that's key, that whole customer experience. I think the second thing, you know, that is is unique is I, I, I really do think that, you know, giving our buyers the tools they need to sell kind of our product internally on their own, right? They're, they're going to be your best advocates. Um, they, you know, some of these organizations are going to listen to their own people before they ever listen to people on the outside. So making sure that they are equipped with everything they need, I think that's a, a big, big focus. And then, you know, the, the other, you know, a, a couple other things I would say that I'm, you know, um, a stickler about it, or one is really trying to um, make sure that the language and, and the product you're offering is very, very clear and simple. I think, you know, our industry is filled with, with jargon, but I think simplifying the language as much as possible. Um, I always say less is more, right? That the, the, the shorter you can write, the better. I think that's, that's key. And then, you know, as a startup, I, I would say that the other thing that makes our marketing unique is I do think there is more of a reliance on marketing. So we have a small sales team, you know, compared to um, some asset managers or fintech companies who have, you know, you know, sales teams of, you know, 100 plus um, for sure. We have a small, small sales team. So marketing becomes increasingly important, right? And the only way to create awareness um, for some of our customers is, is, is through marketing and not necessarily through sales. So the, the focus on marketing is, is key. We titled this podcast series, the CMO series, Drivers of Revenue. Is that appropriate? You know, I, Doug, I, I think, I, I think your heart, the heart is in the right place for sure. And, and I, you know, what I like about it is that it is really positioning marketing as key to driving business, right? It's, it's, you know, I think there's a perception often that marketing is just a you know, that, that, that brand stuff that makes stuff look pretty group, you know, creative communications, they're the keepers of the logo and that's absolutely not the case. So I think the drivers of revenue is, is core to it, 
But I do think, you know, that function of being a driver of revenue is, is not limited to marketing, right? And so every function within an organization, whether it be client service, sales, even, you know, product and engineering, um, all of those functions should have a focus on, on driving revenue at the end of the day, right? Um, so I, I, I do think, you know, it would be interesting to to really hear from your guests. Like, what what is their goal within marketing? Is it is it to drive revenue? Like, is that what their you know goal is this year? I think a lot of times, you know, it, it really depends, and and the goals are different depending on who the CMO is. We're kind of coming back to what to where we started, right? But one company, you know, a CMO's might be brought in to really establish credibility in an industry, right? Or to enter a new market, um, build customer loyalty, that that could be their goal. Some, you know, to generate leads, right? So every um, everyone is different. Um, when I look at other CMO podcasts out there, the, the, the titles are very vague and there's probably a reason for that, but there's like CMO podcast, CMO show, the next CMO, but they're all pretty vague. So I, I give you credit for really, you know, um, up-leveling drivers of revenue, but I would say that expands beyond marketing and that every, you know, CMO has a, a different, you know, end goal within their organization. Kimberly, this has been just great. Thanks so much for being so thoughtful with us. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on, Doug. I, I really enjoyed our conversation and I hope I get to see you soon. Me too. To learn more about Kimberly's new company, YieldX, please check them out at yieldx.app. Please follow us for all the latest updates on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook, all at Advisorpedia. For everybody at Advisorpedia, our producer, Jakey Beard, and the Power Your Advice podcast team, this is Doug Heikinen. <laughs>